never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Nett. Today is another fantastic day because my guest, Jason Shires, like me, has gone through a lot of darkness. And whilst this is not a pissing contest, um, I think his darkness lasted quite a bit longer than actually mine. Um, so even more important uh, is for him now that we see that there is light at the end of the tunnel literally that there is that we are that that we are out here to make this world a better place and he clearly is out there to demystify mental health he demystifies the the maybe medicalization of of the consequences the lo actually logical consequences of life after trauma um, and that is really, really important. So I can't wait to talk to Jason. Jason Shires, welcome to my show. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I always say I'm looking forward to hearing what I'm going to say because I, I never come with a, a pre-prepared story or any ideas about what might show up. So I'm happy to be in the moment and see what see what we talk about. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, having said that, I mean, when did you... When did your darkness start? When did you realize, uh, well, with hindsight probably, that maybe, maybe you know, life was not such a, a bed of roses for you? Well, I think that came with a sledgehammer, to be honest. Um, introduction to darkness, because my dad was killed in an accident when I was just very young. And... Uh, so unknowingly, yeah, using hindsight, but for a five-year-old boy, you know, whose dad just went out one day and never came back, you know. Um, I, was in, I was introduced to trauma, so to speak, in that way. And um, from there on, it just got worse and worse. And, uh, you know, I, I guess looking back, food simply, I mean, I lost one parent physically, but I lost the other parent anyway because she was too wrapped up in it all to um to cope so i was if anyone asked me to describe my childhood it was uh in a one line it would be work it out for yourself you know that was my life work it out for yourself so that was my introduction to trauma to struggles to addiction uh, right from that early age food became my friend mm. it became my coping mechanism my loyal companion my you know it always did what it said it would do it, it it you know and um as a result of that you can't hide what happens on the outside of your body when you're consuming copious amounts of food as a method of coping so that was everyone else's introduction to my darkness you know like mm -hmm. seeing me ballooning weight and wondering what was going on you know and of course that food is there for yeah. you the sugar rush, the warmth, the the I mean, that's a whole industry who is creating that perfect bliss point between crunchiness, saltiness, and fat. And once you have got that, that oh, that's a like a warm pillow. It's lovely how you describe actually that that it is the friend that is there for you. And especially as a child, I can very much see that. How was yeah. your school? Because often enough. Children who who don't find themselves at home or who have got lots of trauma at home, they try to escape 
and sometimes school becomes that escape where you one of the 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 children who who took to class easily or how did it go i had like this uh i mean i was very intelligent and uh, i i won a full scholarship at a private school through my intelligence but i was completely off the wall um behaviorally and mentally you know so I am um, at a very young age, I won this scholarship, but I was stealing money from home. I'd started stealing money from home. And um, I mean, one of the crazy things that I did, just to give you an example of how I lived at, at like, uh, I mean, at 10 years old, I was put on antidepressants. I was first entered into the psychiatric system. Um, um, and uh, just not long after that, I was put on, diet pills, tenuate dust bun it was, there were appetite suppressants. And then at 12 years old, I stole quite a lot of money, bought a motorbike and went to school um, on, in, wearing this private, prestigious private school blazer and bag and uniform uh, with no helmet at like seven o'clock in the morning, riding an off-road motorcycle across, uh, across a very famous golf course you know, to get to school and um, leaving the leaving the motorbike at a friend's house, so to speak, you know, it's like, and, uh, and then being in school and seeing my mum and his mum appearing in the classroom window, like later that day with a realisation. So that was, gives you an idea of what my early school life was like. And after that, I went to comprehensive school, which was just full of drugs and crime and fighting and chaos, you know. <laughs> oh dear okay so your decision making skills were not yet developed okay that's fair call to say but then again which ones are uh in at the age of 12 or even 18 or even 21 come on let's be quite clear about that but then of course so okay so highly intelligent but uh school were you rebelling against school were you rebelling against authority Oh, yeah. I was well gone by that point. I mean, I was committing crime. I was uh, compulsively overeating. I was buying friends. I was I was lost. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to make of life. I felt like uh, I'd been handed this shitty life, you know, that like that I really couldn't escape from. And, and, and I would do anything to find oblivion or escape from myself. You know, uh -huh. uh, what was your first track? What was and what was your track of choice later? Yeah, I mean, heroin was my first drug, strangely. Shit, um, that's an early start. <laughs> How yeah. did that happen? I mean, I, I, I was, I, I, I like to say I was in the right place at the right time, or oh, perhaps shit. you might say that the, the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> um, it depends which way you look at it, you know. Yeah. It's like how quick, how quickly devastation is to come in life, you know. Often precedes change, so it was like... You could see it that way, but it, I mean, it certainly gave me an escape from myself as a very young teenager um, who desired nothing but to be escaped from himself, you know, right? Not yeah. to live the life that had been given. So, did uh, you inject yeah, from yeah. the word go, or did you, how did it go? How, no, I mean, no, did you no, smoke no, it? No. Yeah, I smoked it at first. Yeah. And, um, and uh, and very quickly, I mean, I'd already been committing crime and finding ways and means to get yeah. more, you know, it's like I'd already been doing that. So it ah. became easy for me to make money, commit crimes, to buy drugs. And it, the first time I got addicted to heroin lasted a few months as a young teenager. And then I went on to all the other drugs. I went through the whole 
typical progression as many people do yeah. um through all the party drugs and and then back to heroin you know which was the yeah. was the way i mean debus debus the uk where exactly in the uk were you uh i was in in the northwest of the uk yeah. in a small seaside town at that time right yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for the for the listeners and viewers, um, if you uh, the UK has continuously done studies, surveys, and asked the sixteen to twenty four year old age group, uh, typically a sample of about one thousand five hundred every year, they take one thousand five hundred people and ask them, "Hey, have you had any trucks in the last year?" And of yeah. this sample, ten percent have consumed class A drugs uh, in the last year. That is the heroin, methadone, cocaine, those kind of things. So therefore, uh, it must be said that certainly in the U in the UK, um, hard drugs are easily to come by. And it's not a difficult thing whatsoever. So therefore, bloody hell, <clears throat> wrong place, wrong time, quite literally, by being in the UK. I don't think I've, I would have struggled to find uh, these drugs in Germany. No doubt they are around. No doubt there are statistics there too. But it's just I was not exposed to it in in my early years, and maybe I was just incredibly blessed. Maybe had I been in the wrong wrong place and wrong time, it would have not been work and then alcohol, but it would have been maybe some other drugs from the word go. Bloody hell! Uh, how was your relationship with alcohol? That's far easier to get to. Um, much cheaper. Yeah, I, I, I remember being drunk once or twice, but that was it. You know, as a young teenager, it was um, it was just drugs for me. It was the quickest route to oblivion and devastation. <laughs> to be honest, it's like uh, yeah, of course. It, it just when it, when I first took drugs, it just felt like this is it. You know, I, okay. I, I, I just knew. You know, this was my my way of escaping myself for the I mean, because of the very first time in my life my mind my own thoughts my what you might call the committee or the mental activity or self um self-hatred self-loathing went quiet it went away you know it yeah. disappeared and yeah. it's like i'd lived with that for years yeah. and it had been so painful and that's what a lot of people say that's what a lot of people say there's there's i had another guest who described it when when he had a nasty shoulder injury um, and he came to the hospital and they gave him uh, a strong drug into the vein to help him with the, the admittedly pain there. And he said mm -hmm. that pain away went away, but far more importantly, all the pressure and all the pain in his heart went away immediately. And so mm -hmm. this is something that we sometimes forget. And certainly as a, as a doctor uh, who wants to do the right thing by giving the patient the right medication at the right time, sometimes we treat more than one pain. And I think you had described it so, so beautifully. Bloody hell, man. Um, bloody hell. Uh, was there an awareness in you that maybe this was not the right thing? Was there any shame or guilt? There was a lot, you know, over the years. I mean, I, I stole from my family. I stole from my grandparents. I did a lot of things that I didn't feel. Yeah. Um, good about you know and i can remember like physically walking my body in opposite directions when i was on my way to manipulate to, to steal to take money to to find ways to get more from from the easiest source which was the family you know it's kind of like i can remember trying to physically walk my body in a different direction and 
Uh. And just the compulsion and the obsession was so intense that I just couldn't do it. So I knew uh. I knew something was off, something was wrong, and it and it never felt good to me inside. But uh. the desperation to relieve myself of what I was experiencing was more intense, you know. Yeah. Well, how long did that last? How long did you uh, end up in that darkness? That that was ten years. Um, from say early teenage years 13 14 to 23 24 when i first went to rehab um wow. what, made, yeah. what there, made you go there was a lot um and there's a lot i was sick and tired to me so i'd been in prison quite a lot of times already by that point and uh right. and been in psychiatric care uh, with psychiatric intervention many times and it looked like uh, life was over, to be honest. It kind of felt like that. I ended up in a homeless shelter. And um, my, it's funny because I always tell the story of this homeless shelter. You know, they're like, no, the only rules were, were that like, you, you, you had to be homeless and you weren't allowed to take drugs or alcohol. That was it, you know, you, and, and every single person that was dependent on drugs or alcohol. But yet one of the rules was, was that there was no drugs or alcohol, you know, and um I, when I was in there, I think my brother, my brother came and with a via my mom, I think you know, like about getting me into rehabilitation. And um, they had there was this thing where they had to apply to the council, and uh, I went to a rehab nearby simply because it was nearby, not because of any other reason. And I really thought heroin was my problem, and if I could just stop the physical, then <laughs> after that I would be happy and everything would be wonderful, you know. And, and that was my. You know, I was absolutely certain, though, that I was not going to get any support because my mum had long since disowned me, you know, like she, I wasn't allowed to go to the house. None of the family wanted me around. I wasn't safe. You had to lock down anything that was, you know, could be removed because I would take it. Um, so that was my first, you know, my mum actually paid some of the funding for me to go to rehab, um, to my surprise at that time when I was 23. And that's when I got clean from drugs and alcohol, you know, so that was uh, that was when that started. But it certainly didn't end addiction, you know. As soon as I put down drugs and alcohol, I picked up food again. And, <laughs> That's what I to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gained, I gained um, 70 kilos in 12 to 15 weeks in rehab. You know, it's kind of like uh, I just constantly consumed and stole and ate and stayed out of bins. And I stole food and I oh. ate leftovers and I took everything. And, and it was never addressed. I mean, looking back, it's a bit crazy to gain that much yeah. weight in, in that period of time. And, um, you know, to the point where no one, I couldn't get any clothes to fit me or anything. I was that Shit. overweight. You know, I think that was three, I, 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 I get confused. Pounds, that was 350 pounds at the biggest, you know, oh. uh, 150 something kilos. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, yeah, I was just escaping. I, I mean, because I just call addiction like that way when you understand it in that traditional medical or 12-step way, you know, it's like a whack-a-mole approach, you know. It's like uh, you get rid of one thing and you just pick up another. Absolutely. Like, you know. Absolutely. The cross-addiction. And it's definitely there. Oh, hell yes. Um, yeah. No, no doubt about that. That first rehab, uh, I mean, my the only rehab that I ended up in was luckily the one that worked for me, which was a 12-step program, but not religious, but a secular 12-step. Uh, what kind of, of rehab was that where you ended up? 
It was a 12-step rehab. Um, I was introduced to Narcotics Anonymous and the 12 steps. Yeah. And um, I mean, I always say that I naively, um, because I don't believe in the disease of addiction now, I don't see it that way. I see it completely different. But for many years, I did. And um, I just naively took on. They said to me, you've got this thing called the disease of addiction. And uh, I was just like, okay, whatever it is, you can't drink or use drugs ever again. Okay, you know, whatever it is, I'll do it. You need to go to meetings to be okay. Okay, I'll do it. You know, whatever it was, I was desperate. I would have done anything. And sure. very na- very naively, I, I just took those things, naively or wisely, whichever way you look at it, you know, they were very helpful to me. And I don't have anything bad to say about that part of my journey. But, um, you know, I guess I found a limitation in it somewhere along the way years later, you know. That's interesting. Um, but did it work for that period in your life? I mean, we're all on a journey and there's nothing wrong to say, okay, uh, you 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 part from one aspect of rehab uh, and move to another part in your life. That's normal. But did that work, that approach? Well, it saved my life. I can't argue that, you know. It, it stopped me from killing myself. It stopped me from killing others. And it stopped me from killing my family. You know, it's Beautiful. kind of like, okay. for okay. those things, I'm ever grateful. You know? Shit, yeah. Shit, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, a 10-year a, a career in hard drugs, and you are still surviving. Well, that's already quite an achievement, may I say, okay? You were so yeah. lucky that this was before the the start of the current opiate uh, epidemic where you have got far more potent drugs getting sprinkled on on whatever you believe you're taking. And the next thing you know is you have got a massive overdose and die. Um, so bloody hell. So this was drugs were at least a little bit a little bit straighter um, than uh they are nowadays they were still cut with all kind of shit um mm-hmm. did you end up with with uh negative consequences from the i assume you injected at the end yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah there was i mean endless negative consequences for years or even decades to come you yeah. know afterwards yeah. it was yeah. like uh um the financial the physical you know uh, the the damaged relationships you know were, were took a long time oh, to please. repair those no things. i mean, I mean no, phys- some, physical on your body yeah a lot of physical stuff yeah at the time i mean like, i'm okay now but like um the yeah i mean like it just lasted for a long time some of that stuff you know shit yeah Shit, yeah. And sometimes we are lucky because uh, our body can regenerate. We can do a tremendous amount of yeah. things. And that yeah. is the beautiful thing. That's what I'm saying. The past does not equal the future. Having said that, unfortunately, when you do share needles, when you do go to the more extremes of drug abuse, there are things like AIDS, there are things like sexually transmitted diseases, uh, because the money yeah. needs to come from somewhere, etc, etc, etc. So you yeah. seem to be lucky that that you did not end up with any any of the deadly consequences of uh, yeah. Man. Very lucky, but went went to a lot of funerals, you know. Shit, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, and yeah. I, that is so brutal. There, we need to accept that uh, that this is very much alive out there, and that is essentially one of the the likelihoods. You either in jail, you either in rehab, or you're dead. Uh, I mean, these are the free outcomes for for us addicts. So, yeah. and 
end of the story. So, but I'm intrigued because here you say, on the one hand, the twelve step system has helped you. It it helped you get back to the living <laughs> from the from the zombies to the living. I think that is one way of putting it. Um, yeah. But then you started developing. I mean, you you were clean. Now what? <laughs> you were sober. Now what? <laughs> what? What did you do? And did you? Was there a period of post-traumatic growth? I think. I mean, like I would call that another part of my journey. There's many, many facets of the of the overall experience, you know, that happened. And I think that while I went to twelve steps and I had a great, some great things happen. I met some great friends, some of my friends I'm still friends with 30 years later now, you know, um, some of the um, journeys and, you know, things we've done together, you know, have been amazing. But the bottom line is, is that I was, my addiction was rife in many other areas and my mental health was, was, it was completely gone. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the psychiatric care, the eating disorder when I was still, uh, the obsessive gambling, pornography, money, even crime in recovery, you know, for money, um, were going to meetings saying everything was great. You know, it's like that's kind of how it was. And in fact, most other people I knew got clean. Uh, let's say, I, I don't know what, I guess in Germany you use kilos, you know, it's kind of, they got clean at uh, 60, 70 kilos and within a few months they were 120, 130 yeah. kilos. So it's kind of like it's not you doesn't take a mathematician to see what's going on with those numbers. Of course. Know? Of course. Everyone is escaping themselves, their own experience. So what it tells you is that there's no internal ease, no peace, joy, contentment, and happiness. There is a way of coping that's better than self-destructing on class A's, but there's still some internal uh, missing piece, you know, or something that, that people are escaping from. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, yeah. And of course, trauma it's continues. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's the problem. So you think, yay, I am out of rehab. I'm clean now. I deal with all the past. And then the present yeah. happens. <laughs> you think, fuck off. Were there more traumas waiting for you? Yeah, I mean, like, as soon as you start in relationships, you know, particularly if you had a trauma like mine where somebody you love left you, you know, it's kind of like as a on a somatic level, you know, it's like as a small child, there's a an immense fear of abandonment, fear of love, fear of being loved, a fear of all those things. So all that stuff shows up in relation, in, in mirror reflection to another, you know. So as soon as relationships start, they're devastatingly painful not knowing why and having no clue about how to live how to develop emotionally that's why i started on the journey of psychotherapy and to become a psychotherapist because um i, I thought if i could learn this thing in psychotherapy because i everyone kept saying to me you've got you've got problems other than addiction you know and i didn't even know what that meant but i just thought oh, sounds true you know i've got a lot of problems it's like um, so I went to psychotherapy and I thought I quite like this, so I should learn how to do it. And if I learn how to do it, I, I'll be able to heal myself. Yeah. That was the reason I, I became a psychotherapist. And, um, you know, I, to be honest, I was at the end of my psychotherapy training with many with an endless list of qualifications in different modalities. I was probably I mean, I may be giving myself a discredit here, but like, I don't think I was any more. Uh, wise or had any more idea about what happiness was than when I started 
You know, I, I really don't. I think my practice as a traditional psychotherapist in the traditional Western model of what I was taught is uh, not useless, but somewhat, you know, it's kind of like there's a missing, <laughs> but there's a missing it, piece, you know. Is that not is that not a, a very common thing that people say? I mean, there are there are, there are different modalities that maybe are a little bit I don't say more efficient, although I want to say it, uh, maybe faster rather than 10 years psychotherapy. Uh, you maybe can achieve a similar outcome by maybe a different approach to the human brain, to the human behavior. Uh, and I think that is what you have experienced, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I just carried on in this endless search because I thought if I don't really know happiness, because that's all anybody wants, they want to feel happy. You know, like, okay, they come with their struggles, with their relationships, with uh, their eating, with their addictions. But what they really want is to experience some peace of mind and some contentment and some happiness. And if I don't know, and I've never experienced that, how could I ever take anyone else there? That's kind of what I thought, you know. And I beautiful. felt somewhat fraudulent in my work because I could sit with people in the dark. I could walk with people in the dark, but none of us knew where the light switch was. You know, none of us could point, point beautiful. to the, Light, you know beautifully said i couldn't agree more wow yeah. okay so who switched on the lights for you yeah i i had like 22 years clean i was and at this point i've been going to meetings for 22 years and um i've been a psychotherapist for a long time i had a long list of qualifications i've had practice uh i done well on the outside you know it's kind of like financially business-wise i was an entrepreneur i had multiple businesses and uh I was so unhappy, you know, it's like, and I really would never, I never ended the seeking. I talk about seeking in my story because seeking is our intuition of home, our knowing of home, you know, and, and in 12 steps, people used to say to me, you need to stop seeking. You need to stop seeking. Seeking's your problem. Seeking, if you stop seeking, you'll be okay. But seeking is our knowing that there's something more, that there's yeah. a place of rest, there's a place of peace, there's a place of joy inside of us. That's all it is. We just don't know where to look. Yeah. And, you know, in, in all my journeys through all Tony Robbins, through the Hoffman process, through the Landmark Forum, through uh, silent retreats, meditations, and everything I could find, you know, EMDR, rapid transformational therapy, CBT, DBT, I tried it all, you know. Um, I came across... Uh, I was watching a video. I wasn't watching it. I was recording a video called The Path of Effortless Change. And uh, there was something about the word effortless that really stood out to me because I felt like, fuck, you know, if I, effortless sounds amazing because my life is <laughs> exactly. like walking in quicksand, you know. <laughs> is there such a thing as effortless change? I mean, yeah. if there is, I need to know about it, right? Because I definitely I need that. And uh, I found myself mesmerized by this video this guy talking who's called Michael Neal he's a coach in LA and um uh, it was I couldn't say why it wasn't the intellect I wasn't like hearing uh this is how to change and uh this is what you need to do and this is how you're going to feel better that's what I've been searching for my whole life I wasn't hearing that I was just hearing something different that deeply resonated felt felt like a um something I needed to know more about and uh you know, to cut a long story short, a year later, I ended up at his house in L.A. And uh, uh, for what was called an intensive, which was three days, five people, and was probably the most relaxed experience I'd ever had. Um, and I remember sitting there and, you know, I, me with all my 
with my self image, you know, let's call it that, you know, me with my, with me, with my idea of myself was sat there, you know, my idea of myself being well-educated psychotherapist knows a lot about change, been in recovery a long time. What else could anybody teach me? That was my idea of myself. You know? um, uh, and this guy, this guy just said to me, you know, because no one had ever invited me to be present. You know, no one had ever said to me, can you just be here? And this, that's what he said to me. He said, he looked at me and I must have looked so tense and uptight, you know, because I was thinking about money's worth and how long the hours it was going to be and all this shit, you know. And um, he said to me, can you just be here? Can you put your book down and just be with us? You know, and I thought, shit, yeah, I never thought that. No one's ever asked me that before, you know. No one's ever no one's ever invited me to stop stressing, stop thinking, stop oh. you know, being, working out. He said to me, don't listen to this to see if it's right or wrong, to see if it's good or bad, to see if it's like something you know. Don't, don't listen waiting to answer. He said, just allow it just to, to be here. Just allow stuff to drift over your head if it's not not making sense. and allow yourself just to just to give yourself this time to be here and i thought shit yeah why not you know i'm here uh, i've flown all the way to la you know it's kind of like well i may as well be here you know instead of somewhere else it's kind of like and in those two days when that happened i mean i remember i don't know what happened i do now but i didn't then and I, I I sat outside this airbnb after those two days just feeling this extreme amount of bliss and peace in my heart, you know, and I just thought, fuck me, I have no idea what just happened, but I just feel so fucking Beautiful. Uh, calm and so relaxed and, and nothing had changed. My mind was going, yeah, but you haven't got more money. You haven't got a new job. You haven't got a new girlfriend. You haven't lost weight. You know, how come you feel better? Because that's what life looked like. It was a an, an external experience of getting all your ducks in a row. But I'd realized that transformation happened on the inside, not on the outside. And it, it it was there was an intense uh sense of knowing that i'd found myself you know it was like it, it it so much so that i'd had a therapist for seven years and uh this time and i found it very difficult to get a good therapist i was very picky and uh i i actually sent an email straight away on that friday evening when that two days finished saying I don't need therapy anymore. This my next session will be the last session. You know, it was like I was that certain um, about so many things. I, I knew I wouldn't go to meetings anymore. I knew I wasn't an addict. I, I knew that wasn't true, and um, I don't know how I knew, but I just knew. You know, it was like there was some real strong sense of certainty inside of me that right. uh, that that had served its purpose at the time, and that it was no longer. Uh, it was more now a restriction than a truth, you know, for me, and that there was nice. something more for me to see about life, you know? And that's that's where it started to unfold. That's where my life, my life as I have it now, as I see it now, started to unfold inside of me. I was no longer chasing yeah. things on the outside. Oh, I mean, all my, I mean, from that point onwards, I've never had any struggle with addiction, with food, with weight, with psychiatric care. It all just disappeared. You know? May I ask, during that that weekend, something happened. Now I've seen similar responses in myself, temporarily uh, after uh, hypnosis. I've seen um, certainly after in intervention that basically scramble 
the brain, uh, rewrite programs, because we've got all these kind of underlying uh, core beliefs, these underlying subconscious programs running that are there from childhood that often enough are holding us back. Um, so here you were, something happened that weekend. Um, can you, with hindsight, put your fingers on that? Yeah. Um, it was an awakening to the, the fact that life is happening inside and not outside. You know, it was a, it was a realization that I'd been chasing external things, including, I mean, like, I haven't talked about a lot of the stuff. Like, for example, in those 22 years when I was clean, I had seven cosmetic surgeries on, to change my body on the outside to try and get rid of fat, you know, because yeah. I was so obsessed with the outside of me trying to fix the inside of me all the other that's just one of the crazy things that i the extremes that i'd gone to yeah. and like it was an awakening to oh shit you know like even like i said at the start you know jason is just an idea in my own mind you know jason is not a fixed entity a flawed individual with a long list of psychiatric diagnoses and problems and trauma and all these things that's not who i am that's what I thought I was before I had that awakened moment. Sure. And I thought there was a, a requirement or a need for me to remain broken and somehow cope at best no. with what had happened. But I saw that via the realization that life is happening inside me, not outside of me, that like all that was just a head full of flawed ideas. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't happening now. And I didn't have to live as if it was me, you know, yeah. it was, it yeah. was like an awakening to the, to the truth of all human experience, you know, like the oneness of life. There was an awakening to that. Not, sure. it was a complete paradigm shift sure. in understanding my, my mind had, had seen something that was transformational. You know? Which is beautiful, which is absolutely gorgeous. I'm so pleased for you that you had that moment of clarity that that moment of peace. I certainly know those moments. I cherish those moments. But these moments can be quite fleeting because their life has got a way of uh, just dishing you up another shit sandwich and inviting you to eat it with gusto. Um, yeah. So what do you do in order to maintain or... Shall I be negative? Shall I say, ooh, how do you chase that? How do you chase that feeling of, well, because that's what we do. What what the quotation mark addicts do. We chase that moment, that moment of bliss when the drug hits you, when the alcohol hits you, when you have got your orgasm with whoever has got a heartbeat. Um, you know? So what's 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 going on? Yeah, I think it's true what you say. It, it's very easy to then exchange, let's say, in my case, food and uh, body shape and money with spiritual seeking. You know, they just become the next addiction. You can, exactly. you can objectify them in the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, luckily, I guess for me, you know, that the, the, there was a, with this intense realization, I, I mean, I think what you're talking about is kind of like, when you have some sort of cathartic or somatic release, um, neuroplasticity allows for some sort of um, change in those neural pathways. You know, it's like, but but if you don't maintain 
some looking or seeing in some new direction, you're just going to, it's just going to contract again and go back to those old beliefs and, and ways of being. Absolutely. But, but for me, I just can continue to look, you know, and what I'd been, it was almost like, I describe it like dominoes. Once I'd seen that initial crack yeah. in the creation of experience, that other, everything I looked at after that started to fall over like dominoes. Yeah. And like, there was no return for me. It, there was a, there was, there, let, let me say it a different way. There was a period of bliss for a couple of years. And then there was a bit of a, 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 a a slap in the face, so to speak. Trauma still happens. Yeah, you know? exactly. Kind of like, <laughs> exactly. But, but there was a huge shift in those period of those two years that yeah. that life was never going to be the same again, and it wasn't, yeah. and it has never been the same again. But it didn't free me of all suffering. You know, there was there was that Good. that came later. You know? I, I I certainly did spiritually bypass my trauma for a while. I, I negated it. I said it didn't exist. I overlooked it. I ignored it. I lived a, a happy life, but when I found love, when I found a connection with my current partner, um, it certainly, the traumas all showed up again, the body, and that's when I started becoming more somatic-based in my work, you know. Interesting. Okay. Having said that, you still, I'm still hunting for answers here, and I'm still not letting you off the hook, brother, um, because you, you said earlier you had, in your earlier life, you had tried it all, quotation mark. You went down the meditation route. You went down uh, many other therapy routes, which didn't actually help you at that time, or at least you didn't perceive it to help. Um, now there was this breakthrough. And now you're saying, okay, you use spirituality as a kind of, yeah, again, more coping mechanism rather than fulfillment and growth. What yeah. makes you grow now? How do you live your life so that you maintain a proximity to that blissful, calm Zen? And I say proximity because we can't always be perfectly in tune with ourselves. It just doesn't work. It's just life is not like that. But how do you get closer to that? Like It was... I mean, like after the awakening period, you know, where where that realization was had and then trauma showing up again. I mean, it forced me to look inwardly at the body based trauma reactions, you know, that were there. And I think it's true what you said that it, and it's not about trying all these different things, but different things can uh, result in different results at different times, you know, depending on where you are and what you're willing to see. Absolutely. And uh, perhaps I, I'd met many people who wanted to point me to stuff over the years, but I'd just gone, no, that's shit. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it's gonna, what I really was saying was, I'm not ready to look at that just exactly. now. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so I've now been quite a lot of years in somatic, different somatic practices and so on. And, and, and like from spiritually aware to fully embodied, you know, like realizing that there's no blissful thing called enlightenment to experience you know we're, we're living a very relative human experience you know which includes all the reactions of the body and the contractions and the sensations that come with traumatic experiences but the more that you befriend yourself and start to become okay and you know through somatic yeah. experiencing somatic release and so on that you become right. and 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 there's also a, a, a deep knowing you know a deep centered knowing of 
of oneness, of non-duality. You know, it's kind of like in life of of the of the ex- shared experience of being human of all people that supersedes all triggers. You know, like experience is going like this all the time. You know, yeah. shit day, good day, shit day, good day. It's kind of, like, but there's never the knowing never disappears. You know, it's always there. It's kind of it supersedes all experience. Okay. Experience is temporary. The knowing of our true nature is permanent. You know. Interesting. Very interesting. I like that. Um, there is indeed, and what you're talking is essentially the outcome of many years of searching and many years of realizations. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you've become wise, although there's such a corny, corny, corny <laughs> description, but you know, there's something happening after being on a path of self-discovery of growth etc at some stage you maybe come to be at peace with the shit that is happening that is called life um i i i like that i like that but i mean how there are certain ways that we can maybe make it more likely that you have got a good day compared with having a shit day um of all those different modalities that you have been exposed to over the last few decades, what has stuck for you? What has worked for you? What is working for you today? How did you prepare for this interview? Um, you know, I mean, how, how, what actually worked to make your day good today? Yeah, well, a couple of things I want to say. One is the mind always wants to know why and how, you know, it's kind of like, and I guess, that's just how we're conditioned, you know, like to, to, if we could work out how this actually works, then we could put it into practice ourselves. You know, it's like, that's like a very common human thing, but like what I'm pointing to here is something beyond that, you know, a space um, and words fall short, you know, to describe it. So, um, and words are all, words are all we have, you know, so we have to do the best we can with a feeling state that comes beneath the words, you know, like a sense of calmness, a sense of peace, a sense of trust in life itself that shines through more than the words themselves come through. So I'd like that to be known, you know, and um, everything that makes sense to me the most is what I do in my own work. You know, it's kind of like, because uh, it's an awakening of the mind and an experiencing of the body, you know, it's like, it has to, for me, the awakening of the mind carried me a long way to disconnect me from the story of addict, uh, endless list of psychiatric labels, um, childhood trauma. It disconnected me from the story. It disconnected me from connecting the imaginary dots, you know, that weren't even there because I was creating the dots as well as connecting them, you know. It, it, it stopped me doing that because we can we can exacerbate our struggles and suffering in our own mind on a daily basis using our own mind you know it's like we can make it 10 times worse than it is because in its rawest form what we're experiencing is an energy of the mind and a sensation of the body right but then all the meaning attached to it is related to me as a separate self and then perpetuated via my own mind so the the awakening of the mind freed me of that doing that not not completely but to a large extent and then the, the explorations and the willingness to be with the body, because I find for most people that come to me, like, where do you experience feelings? Everything happens here. You know, it's like above the uh, neck. It's like, what, what happens in your body? Like when you feel yeah. sad, or, where do you experience it? 
I don't know. Nobody knows, you know, it's kind of because they've, they've dissociated at a young age so much so that they've become disconnected from their yeah. somatic experience as a way of coping and intelligence, by the way. And, and this is the question you asked me uh, at the start, you know, it's about everything is intelligence, addiction, dissociation, eating disorders, struggles, suffering, mental health stuff is, is, is a way of coping. It's an intelligent, mind body system that finds a way to be with internal disease you know and it just manifests itself in something that has been medicalized and turned into turned into a, a you know a, 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 an entity unto itself that's then you know made money out of so that um being with the body the somatic experience of the body learning to make friends with your sensations and that deeper realization of the mind is, is to me uh, an essential part of finding peace in a, in a shitty world you know, at times. I think that is really, really important. I think that that feeling your feelings, uh, however stupid it, it is, you know, how stupid it sounds, is actually so important. And to accept those feelings as messengers, messengers from your body, um, to actually say, hey, at the moment, things are not right. And, uh, you know, hungry angry lonely tired uh and that maybe you your body has entered a state in which it shouts for help in which things manifest in your body in a certain way um that you can use as messengers uh that is so beautiful that is how i look at it nowadays um have i had enough sleep Oh no! If I don't, uh, I'm I'm ending up like that, tight as shit. Um, and if there are certain other things, there are certain bodily reactions that I recognize nowadays as very clear signs for certain things uh, in my mind, etc. And it's actually it's like a like a like a nice nice system. Once you get to know it, once you start. Once you stop running from it, once you stop trying to escape from it. Um, so it's beautiful. And you sound very much like someone who is getting more in tune with those messengers. Yeah, I think that'll be a lifetime journey as well. I'm not under any illusion about that. You know, it's like uh, the, the mind body is a innately intelligent system, oh. you know, as you said. And it's like, I mean, take chronic pain and, uh, skin conditions, bad neck, bad back, eczema, you know, all those things, they're all manifestations of trauma, you know, yeah. in a, in that just show up in the body in different ways. It's just finding a way to express it, you know, it's yeah. finding a way to come out. Yeah. And um, in, in more and more of my work with this stuff, you know, I realize and see it within myself and I see it within people that I'm working with, you know, it's like the, the way that actually um, most separation and most suffering is a result of trauma you know um responses reactions you know or i'm not talking about specifically about traumatic events like i had you know like but that's part of it you know but yeah. just trauma as in a lack of something that's needed for a, a child to grow healthily a lack of love mm. or constant shaming or constant anger or aggression or whatever it is you know all of those are trauma you know like as a yeah. way that, that then manifest themselves in different ways in adult life you know yeah. That's very, very true. And I love it how you put that. Um, this is not a pissing contest. We often see trauma 
as something where you have to have seen your best friend being blown up on the battlefield. Then you admit, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that's trauma. Okay, I accept that. Um, but yeah. trauma can be so much more. And each and every person has their own experiences of trauma, regardless what that is. And you don't need external validation to to say, yeah, this is trauma. No, this is not trauma. This bullshit. Um, it is so important to 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 come to terms with your own perceptions, with your own beliefs, with your own things. But in order to do so, often, I mean, we we are, we are not just stopping our life and actually think. Let's think a bit about our past. Let's think a bit about the trauma. Now, no one ever does that. We are caught up in our rat race we're caught up on our hamster wheel and we just keep going keep going keep going and sometimes it takes some some two by four hitting you in the head for you to actually shit stop stop chasing and escaping but actually maybe saying whoa i need someone who can help me figure out what the shit is happening there and i think that is where you come in so uh is what would you advise someone? Okay, let's go do it differently. Imagine you had a time capsule and mm-hmm. you could go back to your younger self. What message would, would, would you tell your younger self? It's so difficult in hindsight, isn't it? Because like some ways you kind of, we all of us do this. We look back at our life and we say, everything that happened makes complete sense now. You know, it's kind of like all these things happen for a reason to guide me to here. And from that perspective, I can even have gratitude for the loss of my dad as much as it's the most painful thing in my life still. You know, it's like I can even have gratitude for the beauty, for the for the lack of being seen from my mom, because how much I see my own children, how much I'm present with them. You know, I can I can I can see those things. So it's like. You know, looking back in hindsight, it's very difficult for me to say or, or, or to want for anything different now. You know, at the time, well, I would have said so many different things. And and I get quite often, I have a lot of friends with teenage children. They want to refer their children to me, you know, to work, to, to kind of help them that perhaps they're going through mental health struggles, uh, depression, addiction, self-harming, eating disorders, stuff like that. Um, and... You know, all, all I really wanted was to be seen. All I really wanted was to be okay, to be me. You know, and it, it, that was felt like the last thing that I could be was to be okay, to be me, because it was just this. But see, this is as well, when I talk about the medical model and stuff, I mean, all my mum knew, She, uh, I guess at this time she picked up a yellow pages or a phone book because there was no internet or anything. And sure. she she looked through it trying to find help for her son who was struggling with himself. Like, where the fuck do you look at in 1980 for a a, a help? I love it. I love it that you say that. She found the psychiatric center, the local psychiatric center. That's what she did. And she went there with no idea whatsoever. But those people guided her to put me on medication and tell her that I was depressed and all these things. It's like these things happened. You know, all I wanted was to be loved and to be seen and to be noticed. But like, they were clueless. They didn't know what they were doing. And that's beautiful how you you describe that uh, and how you give your mum credit uh, because she had her own trauma. She 
was doing the best she could under the circumstances, given the the limitations at that time. But even nowadays, nowadays we have got the internet. Nowadays you can look at everything, but we are still drowning in a sea of information where, yeah. you know, you get so much shit bombarding you that it's very easy to go down a rabbit hole and not get the right uh, right help. And I think that is that is where where people like you come in, Jason. You kind of have done the hard work. <laughs> you literally were the guinea pig of therapy, so to speak. <laughs> you, you tried it all, man. <laughs> so okay. So therefore you have got you have got actually insight and that's that's where you're where one part of your power lies. Um you're just significantly further down the path than many, many other people. That's so wonderful. You are a man who can listen and who can hear what people are saying. More importantly, you hear what they do not say. You know some of the questions to ask that brings out within your clients, within your patients, however you want to call them, the people that you meet, you have got the power to open the doors for them by asking the right questions. And I think that is so beautiful. That is so wonderful uh, for for people like you, who have been there, done that, have vomited on the t-shirt. And that makes you inevitably a powerful ally to have on your side or have by your side. So that's brilliant. So if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you, Jason? Yeah, uh, my podcast, misunderstandingsofthemind.com, is very much in line with demystifying mental illness and and kind of and, t- and traditional models and stuff and, and seeing the innate intelligence of our system at work, you know, around all different subjects, around addiction, around anxiety, depression, uh, relationships, all areas where people typically struggle and there's uh, I just started a couple of new series on there. One is about trauma, healing, and spirituality, and the other is just people's com- uh, conversations with people that have had uh, transformation and experience, uh, a momentary experience of seeing something different that changed their lives. So that's all on there. Um, my website, wideworldcoaching.com, is uh, in a way you can find me as well. Fantastic. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the uh, podcast because the show notes have got it all. And whilst you're down there, press the like and the subscribe button, bidding, bidding, um, so that you don't miss any of these beautiful guests that I have got. Um, equally, check out uh, Jason's work. Uh, what have you got to lose? And more importantly, what could you possibly gain? And my guess is uh, by by checking him out and maybe considering working with, with Jason, you will expose yourself to a world of insights, of information, and uh, quite a likely transformation to someone who is more at peace with him or herself. And this is probably the best place where you can be in this world. You can't change the world around you or only tiny bits of it, but you can change the way you are at peace with the world. And I think that is that is a beautiful, beautiful goal. 
So Jason, yeah. thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you so much for having come onto my show. It was a very insightful thing, which made me quite reflect quite a bit. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Cool. And you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.